was reading over Psalms 119, her verses yesterday, and I was uh, enjoying thinking about that uh, verse 114 of that where he says, You are my hiding place and my shield, I hope in your word. As I was thinking about it, brought to mind that old song. I don't know if you've heard it. I'm standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Uh, And that is a good place to stand this morning, isn't it? If you have your Bibles uh, with you this morning, let me invite you to open them up with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. If you're visiting with us, we normally go through a book of the Bible. We're currently going through the Gospel of John. Well, currently, starting next week, uh, we'll be... Picking back up our study in the Gospel of John, chapter number 7. And it's been my desire last week and this week just to set a few things in the forefront of your mind that's probably in the back of our minds oftentimes just to kind of remind us of who we are and why it is we gather together uh, as a church and as a body of Christ and what goes on. And uh, so let's just uh, pick up our reading in verse number 1 of Ephesians help if I turned there, wouldn't it? <clears throat> you can follow along with me. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called One hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth, who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. For from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that builds itself up in love. Well, may God bless the reading of his word. Uh, I think it was probably back during the pandemic we began dwelling on the question, what is the significance of meeting together? What is going on that would cause us to want to gather together in person with taking our lives into our own hands with the risk of all that was going on? Uh, What would make it so significant to be in a group, to be together? What makes the church want to gather together? I mean, after all, we have technology and we have a lot of resources available to us. I mean, you can download a sermon while you go jogging. For those of you who don't like jogging, you can download a sermon 
and control the atmosphere of your environment, have a cup of coffee and push pause on the preacher while you knit or answer a phone call or whatever it is you do. Shop on Amazon, uh, whatever, uh, whatever applies to you. Why meet together? What is going on as we meet together? You probably have heard the parable or the story of a man who was stranded on an island and uh, after years he was rescued uh, and his rescuers wanted to see what was going on and how did the man sustain himself, how did he live, uh, how did he, he go about daily life and survive and so he began to show him all the things that he did, where he fished and, and how he made rope and all this other stuff like that, showed him where his house was and and where the bathroom was, and and even had a church uh, on his little island that he had made. And the visitors, his newfound heroes, asked him, what is that building in the back that looked old and decrepit? He said, well, that was my first church. We had a falling out. <laughs> now, that, that little story is absurd, isn't it? That's why we laugh. Uh, because it is uh, really ridiculous. Uh, but you and I know there's a thousand of examples of hurts and splits and pains in the church just as substantial as this man decided he didn't like the first church he went to. In fact, sometimes we find that conflict is so prevalent when people gather together that we don't even need people for it to happen. So why do it? Why gather together? If it's easier just to download or, or to control your atmosphere, then why gather? There's several reasons given to us. First of all, I would say that we should give some consideration to the Hebrew writer and, and simply because it's commanded. We meet because the Hebrew writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, with all clarity and authority as if God is speaking to us, said, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's pretty simple. We don't need to pray about whether we should go. We may want to pray about where we should go, but, but the fact that we should gather is, is in the Bible. It's what God tells us to do, just being the people of God. Well, why is it that we need to gather together? There's something more going on than just the fact that God commanded us to meet. And what we saw last week really fleshes that out, and it is because we belong together. There's a, a uniting which takes place when God transforms a sinner's life. And that's what the gospel is doing. It's uniting. It's uniting us first to God and salvation as we have been alienated from God and separated from him because of our sin and and so the joy and the peace and the fellowship which is experienced in walking in harmony and in, in relationship to God is, is foreign to us in our sin. Our sin has separated us from God. The Bible tells us we are under condemnation. And because Christ came into the world, he was born of a virgin, he lived uh, 33 and a half years sinless, continually in fellowship with the Father and and because he took our condemnation on the cross, our judgment, he becomes that, that work of reconciliation, uniting us to the Father in fellowship so that those who by faith put their trust in Christ may receive that peace and purpose 
that hope and that, that life that comes from walking with God in fellowship. And that's what the gospel offers us. It's what it does for us. It unites us to God, but it also unites us, as we said last week, to one another. Uh, we see that in many illustrations that God gives us when he speaks about the church and he says it is a building of God. You're, you're being built up as the, as the tabernacle of God, the, the dwelling place of God, the Holy Spirit filling us corporately together. I know our bodies individually is a temple of God, but there's something in this language of, of meeting together that we're meant to understand that. But not just in the building of God, but, but as fellow citizens of the kingdom of God. There's, that, again, that uniting us together corporately. Or the family of God. The household of faith, the Bible tells us, and we saw that last week. And here in Ephesians 4, he'll go on to say it's described as Christ unites us as a body. Not that you are make up the body all by yourself, but together we're to make up the body of Christ. And Paul goes on to describe what this body is to look like and what it's supposed, how it's supposed to function. And essentially saying to us in the passage we just read, beginning verse 7 through, through 16, that the body should grow and it grows by serving one another. And so what is going on here is not just God commanding us to join together and to worship together and, and God saying that he unites us together, but he says all of it's for the purpose that we might grow together and grow up into a mature man. I hope you'll see that this morning. Now, on the outset of this, let me make two caveats or two statements for you I think are helpful that is a given. What is the church about? What should it be doing and the first of those things is the church should be worshiping God. That's what we do when we meet this morning. We, we give our praise and adoration. We lift up our voices to worship God together. Not as a means to an end that if we worship God, then we'll get something from it. Worship in itself is the end. It is the goal. It is in we worship God that we lift up the reality of who God is. We don't make him worthy. We don't make his name great in the sense of us doing something to him that is not his already. We acknowledge the greatness and the mightiness of God as we worship him. It is right and fitting for God's creatures and especially his children to worship him and praise and give adoration to him. And so we meet together and we worship God. It is also an expression of our thankfulness of understanding who he is and exactly what he's done for us. But secondly, not only should that be what we're about as a church, but the church should be evangelizing the lost. We collectively and individually as we're sent out from this place ought to be sharing the gospel to the world around us. Now with those two things in mind, I want us to focus in on what Paul is addressing here in Ephesians 4, 7 through 4 or through 16 <clears throat> and try to grasp a little bit of what he's saying. And I want to read verses 7 uh, through 16 again. So just look at your text with me. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captivities captive and gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints to the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain unto the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I want to draw our attention first to uh, the first thing I want to bring out this uh, this morning out of this passage is found in verses 7 and 8. Uh, and that is one of the things that is going on week after week as we meet together is this equipping of the saints. We see that in verse number 12, that phrase, the, the first of that verse, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. God is working in our lives little by little, precept upon precept, to enable us, fit us to do the work and will that he's called us to do. This is seen first in the gift of the Holy Spirit to each one of us, and secondly, in the gift of the ministry of the word in verse number 11. Notice verse 7 and 8 with me. How does God equip us? Verse number 7, he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, verses 8 and on through to verse number 11, he gives this idea or this this image of a, a Roman general who has conquered his enemies and taken captives and spoil and all this other stuff. And as he leads this great possession into Rome, this procession into Rome, he, he is displaying the glories of his battle. And at the end, he, he shares with his troops, which are following along with him, part of that spoil. And he's saying this is exactly what happened when Christ died for our sins and rose again in his victory. As he ascended to the Father, he, he gave us this grace of God, this equipping so that we might be able to do what God has called us to do. And that is here, seen in verse number 7, as that gift of one, the Holy Spirit himself. Uh, those who have been saved by the grace of God are saved by the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit, but not just saved by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And here he's saying that not only are we sealed by the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit itself enables us to minister to one another. Every one of us given a gift by God. Notice verse number 7 begins with that contrast, but grace, trying to say that there is a, a reality which he has been talking about in the first part of this, that there is a, a oneness, a, a unity that we share with each other. We have the same doctrine, the same Trinitarian work, as you see verses 4 through 6, 
that we all have. We're to maintain that unity that we have with one another. But unity doesn't mean that we're all clones of the same person. And thank God for that. The world can only deal with one of some of us. I would say mostly all of us, but the truth is what God wants us to understand is that we're not all the same. We don't have the same gifts. We don't have the same personalities. We vary. Uh, We don't have the same backgrounds or the same talents or the same preferences. And, And each one of us, God has gifted. He has enabled to serve him in some way and in some capacity. There's a variety or a variedness to God's grace, and it's outworking in the body of Christ. And sometimes we think we wish we were more like them and had their gifts. And I do that often when I hear people that are really gifted with music. And I wish I could read music. I can enjoy it, I guess. But the truth is God has gifted us by the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Now, the two things I want to note about this gifting of the Holy Spirit and enabling us to serve him or equipping us to serve him, one is that it is a gift of God's grace. You notice how he describes that in verse number seven, grace given to each of us. It's the kindness and favor of God, not only grace to save us, but his continual kindness, his favor, his work continuing in our life to enable us not just to be saved, but to serve. And that at the end of the day, all that we do for the name of Christ and all that we receive uh, in reward for serving Christ will be really just offered up as a tribute to his grace working through us. So Paul said when he spoke about all that he did, he did by the grace of God. God enables us, equips us. We've all experienced God's saving grace. Those All who experience his saving grace will also experience his serving grace. And I would say that's what is pointed out. And number two, not only is it a gift of grace, but he says each one of us. So that none of us may say, well, I'm opted out of that. I didn't get included in that verse or or that reality. No, God has worked in all of our lives and through his grace working in us to redeem us, he also works in to make us useful for his kingdom and for the body of Christ. But secondly, he equips us not only through the work of the Holy Spirit, but he equips us through the ministry or the work of the word. We see that in verse number 11. The Bible explains that that meeting together is about receiving. We come and we receive, but maybe not like downloading a sermon or listening to me go on for an hour and then going on about your week. He says what we have come to receive is how to live this life, how to be equipped to be useful uh, for the glory of God. That's what he's saying in verse number 11. And through this, this equipping of the saints takes place through the ministry of the word. In fact, Paul tells Titus, this is exactly what the pastors are supposed to be doing in Crete. Uh, They are to teach what accords with sound doctrine so that the people may know how to live a godly life. Paul tells uh, Timothy that your work will be one of teaching and reproving and correcting and training. And all this will be done through the ministry of the word. We gather together to be ministered to, to receive the word preached. 
uh, and taught in all of its uh, varied ways that the word is ministered to us, but we do that so that we may be built up and equipped to serve. It's more than just saying, man, that was a great sermon. And I like to hear that stuff. I know everybody else that preaches like to hear that stuff too. Sometimes we like to hear it too much. Amen, guys? Never mind. But it's receiving for a purpose. It's taking so that we may be fit, that we we may be connected together so that the word as it's being delivered to us, as we're being taught it, as it's being shared to us, is, is encouraging us, it's challenging us, it's changing us, it's charging us, it's comforting us, correcting us, and calling us to the word of God incarnate, that is Christ himself. And church, we must not, we must... Uh, we should love the the ministry of the word. It is our life. It's what it, it's what helps us grow. It's what we receive. But it's different than downloading something because his his focus here is on it's a ministry of the word together. It's something that happens as we meet together corporately, as we meet together as a church gathered together uh, that is emphasized and that does not happen when you're jogging or knitting socks or whatever it is you're doing. It is we receive the word together. And that's hard for us to understand. And and to be honest, it's almost there's a little bit of a mystery there even in my own mind, especially living in an individualistic society where I think in terms of me, and Paul is saying, no, we should think in terms of we. We should think in terms of us. We should think in terms of what God has brought together in the body of Christ and the local church. We are built up together. We're growing together. We're equipped together in a different way. We're not on our own. In fact, I, I would say this with all confidence, that our worship from start to finish is different corporately than it is by ourselves, and it should be that way. It should be that way. Paul tells uh, the Ephesian church that God give ministers to the church for the equipping of the saints, verse number 11, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers four gifts. Some people say five here, depending on who you read after, shepherd, teacher being that uh, maybe the same gift. Um, we could get off on a lot of rabbit trails at this point. I'm just going to say this, and, and my understanding of this passage, and the office of apostles and prophets, their foundational gifts that God has given to the church, the, the apostles, the 12 apostles that God, Christ called to be to himself, to be witnesses of the resurrection. One of them was a, a devil who betrayed Jesus. They called Matthias in Acts 1 uh, to replace him. Paul was called an apostle to the Gentiles. And so you see this kind of foundation. They had seen the resurrected Lord. They had been with him in his ministry. Paul defines or defends his apostleship by the miracles and the vision of Christ that he, uh, that he saw. Uh, the prophets were those who received divine revelation from God. They foretold future events like Agabus in the New Testament. And they also foretold. Basically, they preached to the sin of the nation and and spoke the word of God, proclaimed to the word of God, very similar to what we look at as preaching in our day. Evangelists are those similar to our missionaries today. They're 
those who are sent out and preach the gospel to those who have never heard the name of Christ. And, of course, pastor and teacher, I put those two words together. I think it's the best way to understand that. Those are those who God has equipped to strengthen the church and build up the church in the word of God. Now, I know there's probably different views here. We're not going to argue about that this morning. I've talked about this before. Um, you can see me later. We can argue about it some other time. What I want you to see in this is that all of this, Paul is emphasizing that every one of us is gifted, but not every one of us is complete. Every one of us has been given a measure of grace, but every one of us need development. Whereas uh, I think it was Piper who said in his sermon on this, the church needs you. And he reminds us that you need the church. There's a gift in, in this general sense that every Christian experiences, but God has given to the church some through the ministry of the word to, to help develop spiritual gifts or help develop this kind of equipping usefulness to carry out the ministry. I think that's what you see here, this ministry of the word, which is to go on in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Equipping means to prepare for usefulness very closely associated with uh, the disciples who were mending their nets. All that to say is that the teaching and preaching, the ministry of the word in all of its facets are meant to bring us together and place us in a place of being ready to serve one another. It's true that you come to church to serve or to receive, but it is also just as true you come to church to serve to serve one another. That's the second point. Not only do we see this in the equipping of the saints, but you also see this in the work of the ministry. Notice verse number 12. He begins this with, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The purpose of equipping is not just so that we can be like a Swiss army knife that's just sitting in a drawer that never gets used. All these neat features and, and never gets put to the test. Remember years ago, uh, at a ordination of a deacon um, in the church I was at, uh, we went through this process and, and taught about deacons that morning and, and through the ordination. At the end of it, I had him come up and the church would pray as we brought him into that office. We, I handed him a Bible. It was a nice Bible because uh, I like Bibles and, and I like nice Bibles, so I wanted him to have a nice Bible. But I also wanted him to know that, that our authority the Christian faith is the word of God. We are men and women, no matter what capacity you serve, under the authority of God's word. But I also handed him a towel. And it was just a plain towel. I don't know if it was fancy, it had any frilly things on it or anything like that. But I handed him a towel because I heard a statement years ago that stuck with me that said this, the man with the dirtiest towel in the end wins. And that just really was fixed in my mind. Because we think about the church and we think about Christ's example for us that those who are great in the church will be those who are servants in the church. And I wanted him to be reminded that what he was stepping into was not some great title or name, but what he was stepping into as a role of wiping feet. I don't know if he still has the towel or not, but it is a reminder of what he's saying to the church here. That ministry is not carried on by those who are paid staff 
or by a select few. Ministry is carried on by the church collectively, each of us. If it's just depending on, as the statistics tell you, and I don't even know why they tell you this, to discourage you, I guess, if you're a pastor to quit or or to rebuke your church sharply, but they tell you 20, 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. Maybe that's true, maybe that's not. You can take it or leave it. People just put numbers together all the time, whether you like it or not. But what Paul is telling us here is that the ministry that is going on is a ministry that is shared with the body of Christ collectively. We're all called to minister, to serve, to to serve one another, to use our gifts as we grow together. And we think of ministry sometimes as some kind of program or some other thing like that. Maybe maybe that's helpful, maybe it isn't. But I want you to, to realize that Paul says part of our gathering together is not only receiving, but to serve. To receive the word, be equipped by it, but also to serve one another, encourage one another, facilitate the, the, the ministry of the word in the various ways this local church does that. In fact, I think one of the things we have to recapture uh, any church needs to recapture, you know, the people that God need to recapture in our day, is the, the language of us and we and our. To see the ministry that goes on here, whether it's down the road or whether it's supporting missionaries or whatever it is that we do here, to see it as a ministry of something we do together. In that sense, we take ownership of it. And that's hard in some ways because it presses against our tendency to hold kind of commitment very loosely. To hold belonging, kind of stay kind of on the fringe and, and sort of no one can nail you down. You don't know, you know, just kind of one of those things. And it presses against that because it's saying that you can't adequately do that and, and bless in that way without being involved in the life of the church. And it's hard to do it on the outside. Now, he doesn't mention what ministry is. I'll give you six ways that may be helpful for you. There's a ministry of intercession and prayer. And we need that as a church. Uh, I think of our Wednesday night services. We do have one here at 7 o'clock. And I'm not just trying to throw out everything I haven't thrown out in the last six months. but, But it is a time that we gather together and pray for one another. To encourage and lift up one another. Be a part of that. And if you can't make it, still be a part of praying and interceding for one another, praying for one another. Greg sent me a text yesterday and said, he is praying for me. I like that. I'm sitting at my desk, banging my head against the wall, talking to myself. I sent him a text back, is that an imprecatory prayer that you're praying? And he said, if it was, he wouldn't tell me. So you can ask him. The ministry of prayer, the ministry of giving. The ministry of helps in uh, different capacities, mutual encouragement, uh, propagation of the gospel. Uh, The word here, the sixth thing I would say, it's just general enough to cover anything. Ministry is so closely associated to the word deacon and reminds us that it just seems the work of service, the work of service. I want to encourage you to think about that work of service as a work that we're all called to. 
we come together to be equipped for that, serving one another. That's what we do as we gather together. But thirdly, let me just say this. Not only to be equipped to serve, but also that we are to grow together. Notice at the end of verse number 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Uh, Here he is speaking of growth, maturing, being adult, but he's not speaking of it in an individualistic sense. It is true that you ought to be growing in Christ. All of us should want to grow, should be actively growing in Christ, but he's saying that the church itself should be growing together. Isn't that an interesting thought? We're not only focused on our own growth, we're focused on on one another's growth, growth together, that we together are growing, learning, serving one another and learning how to minister the word of God to the world around us. The whole church is growing to adulthood. And he says the standard isn't that you may grow and look like me necessarily. Thank God for that. Say amen. Well, no, I'm just kidding. Don't say amen there. You can say amen in the good parts. So don't say amen there, right? Um, but the standard is Christ. What is he saying? He's saying that Adirondack Bible Chapel ought to be a place that is continually becoming more and more as they meet together, as they serve together, as they minister together, in all the areas they do this, as they live in the world that God has placed them, ought to look more and more like Jesus. That's what he's saying, isn't it? Can people say that about us? Can they say that our attitudes and our way of life, what we emphasize and our conduct in this community looks a lot like Jesus? What do you think? Maybe you haven't thought about that, but it is something worth thinking about. Do we look like Christ to our community? Do we look like Christ as we gather together, as we serve? Do they see the love of Christ flowing from us? That is the standard, he said, and it is a constant reminder that we will never arrive. There's a continual needing to be built up and equipped because that is a standard in which we will, we will, we will, continually, we will continually be aiming for and fall short of. Paul reminds us again of that great standard when he says we should reflect Christ speaking to the Galatian church. And he says, my dear children, from whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He says, I'm going through this all over again until Christ is formed in you, established in you. Colossians 1.28, he, speaking of Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To the Ephesian church, he's saying, we are together meant to reflect who Christ is. I list three ways of this, and, and I'll just walk through these fairly quickly. And the remainder of this chapter, what does it mean to be mature in Christ? And he says, first of all, is 
that we are growing together into unity of faith. Notice verse number 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we may no longer be children tossed to and fro with the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. What he's trying to tell us is that we grow and we continue to grow until we're all established in the faith. I, I take faith to, to mean here in verse number 13, this unity as the faith of the of the. Christian teaching, biblical, um, the biblical faith, the Christian faith, what we believe, which we have in common. And this is the faith in which we're all called into and we're to grow in, continue to grow in the knowledge of that. And isn't that exactly what Paul is praying for repeatedly in the book of Ephesians? Uh, turn back with me to chapter number 1. I want you to grow in your knowledge of the Son of God. Ephesians 1, verse number 17. Back to verse number 15. He says, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering in you in my prayers that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having eyes of your hearts enlightened. Notice this phrase, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. And notice again over chapter number 3, he says similar, uh, a similar thing as he goes off into praise and his prayer for them, that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through the spirit of your inner being. And what is this amazing prayer that God may strengthen us in the inner being for? Well, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height or the breadth, the length, and the height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We're continually being built up in the faith to understand who Christ is and what he has done for us so that you and I might not be kicked around with everything coming and going. That's what he means here. Like children buying into the latest fad, the latest wind, and uh, the latest movement, whether it's in in so, whether it's in society or whether it's under the guise of religion, he's saying we should not be, we should grow to a place where we're established and firmly rooted to where we're not carried away with everything coming and going. You say, well, that's, that should be easy. But he describes everything coming and going as being cunning and craftiness and deceitful. In other words, it comes with a nice pitcher and in a nice box, but it's still at the end of the day garbage and false and deadly. And he's saying that we grow together to be able to stand against that kind of teaching. So we grow, we grow in our knowledge. We also grow in our, uh, in our communication of that knowledge with one another. Look at verse number 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That ought to be enough to really kind of set us back for a while and just meditate. I 
take here, the truth that he's referring to is that knowledge of God, the knowledge of Christ, that gospel truth, the truth of the word of God. And, and he says we're to speak it, but we're, we're not abusing others with it. We're not just taking the Bible like a baseball bat and, and just kind of taking everybody out that doesn't agree with our position. That's not what he says, is it? Doesn't he qualify that? Now, it would be wrong, it would be hateful and unloving just to lie to someone because you feel like it's more peaceful. Uh, and I know there's a balance there, there's a line there. Uh, but it would also be wrong and sinful just to beat somebody, beat somebody down with a Bible in an unloving manner. We need both. We're to speak the truth in love. And some of you have ants. People in your life, aunts, not the, the kinds that crawl around in there. Aunts, aunts, however you say that. Some of you say it differently than I do, I'm sure. But some of you have uh, people in your life, maybe your grandmother, maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your spouse that just tells you like it is. They don't mask it, they just love hurts kind of thing. Uh, and they just tell you like it is. Now, there's sometimes that is needful. But sometimes we can mask. We can mask what the Bible is saying here. We can, we can face pain and stuff in our midst. We can, we can hinder growth with one another and together through the way we communicate. We want to be known for standing on the word of God, standing on the promises of Christ my Savior. Amen? Uh, we, we're Bible people. We believe the Bible is the authoritative, inspired, infallible Word of God. Every bit of it from beginning to end is true. Um, we believe that. Uh, but we also want to be known as those who speak the truth with love. Uh, that is how we're to interact with one another. And maybe a few questions will help you as you consider this in your own life. As you speak to someone, as you seek to encourage them, how is that accomplished? Well, do you even care about this person you're getting ready to address? When you're getting ready to say what you say, what you say that is true, do you care about them? Are you saying this to help them? Is it necessary for their good? And then in saying this, how can I encourage them? How can I point them to Christ? It's unloving to leave things unsaid that needs to be said, but it's also unloving to say things in a manner that is hateful or spiteful. We, thirdly, I would say not only we grow in speaking the truth, we grow in, in the truth, but we grow in our interaction and serving one another. Verse number 16. Just a fun homework assignment. You should go home and read all the translations on uh, Ephesians 4.16 and just compare them. <laughs> it is quite interesting. Start with the King James Version and, uh, and, and move from there. He says, verse number 16, from the whole body, speaking of Christ, uh, we are being held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working together properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up together in love. We are being built up and we grow together as we serve one another in love. As we are doing what God has called us to do. As we're being equipped and we're being obedient. We're meeting needs and serving in ways that God has gifted us. We're just helping and, and when help is needed. 
And as this is going on, it is through that, through that work and that interaction with one another, the church is actually accomplishing and, and being productive as God has intended it to be. We can strive, and that's my prayer for you and my prayer for myself, to be faithful as we meet together growing in our walk with the Lord, serving one another in the various opportunities God has given to us. And I would just say this, how can a church help but be productive when there is a healthy ministry of the word and people are seeking and serving and growing together? And that's what we desire. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for this morning that you have given to us. I thank you for the reminder of these thoughts in my own heart. I pray that you would just continually to let them marinate and minister to me even, even this afternoon and throughout the week. I'm reminded of what a, a, how needful of a reminder these truths are from time to time. I pray that you let uh, your word minister to us even as we leave here, bear fruit in our life, changes, whatever those things may need to take place. I pray that you would give us both the resolve and enablement to do that. God, I pray for those who are gathered here this morning that may not be in that fellowship because they're not in Christ. And I pray that through, through hearing the reminder of Christ coming and uniting us to him, offering us that peace and life and hope and fellowship with you God that you would you would just bring them to a place to repent of their sins that they might call on you and be saved Lord I pray for this day that you've given to us this church body that you would just continue to magnify your son in us and through us in Jesus name Amen